Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. You may be here this morning, and you come to the book of Genesis, and you may not believe that Genesis chapter 1 is a literal historical event. That God created the world about six to 10,000 years ago, in six days, and rested on the seventh. You may be here, and you may not believe that. You may be here today, and you may not believe that there was a worldwide flood that the Bible speaks of in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. You might be here today and you may not believe that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob were literal historical characters that lived a few thousand years ago. You may be here today and you may not believe that the people of Israel left the land of Canaan and went to the land of Egypt and were led out by the man named Moses. And you may be here today and you may not believe that they walked across the Red Sea upon dry land. You may be here today and you may not believe that Joshua took over after Moses died. You may be here today and you may not believe that King David existed or King Solomon or uh, King Saul or any of the other kings. You may be here today and you might believe that the entire Old Testament is just an allegorical book written full of stories. You may be here today and you might believe that, that Jesus lived on this earth and that he died on the cross. You may be here today, and you may not believe that Jesus is coming back like the Bible speaks of from a pre-tribulational perspective or a pre-millennial reign perspective. You may not believe any of that today, and I submit to you that that's fine with me. But if you're here today, and you do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, then you are lost and on your way to a devil's hell. Listen, we can debate and discuss all those other attributes of the Word of God and those details, but the one thing we cannot debate over is that Jesus rose from the grave. So today I want to label my thoughts with this statement. And if you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with this thought. I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You say, well, Brother Brian... What if I don't believe Jesus didn't rise from the dead? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because the Apostle Paul gave us some commentary notes on it in Romans chapter 10. He said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So before we dive into this passage, in order to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ fully and completely, you have to be a child of God. And you might be here this morning, and, and maybe you're not a child of God in the sense that you've received Christ as Savior and that you believe He died on the cross and that He rose again victoriously and gloriously, and that you've given your life to Him. Well, I submit to you today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to, by faith, trust Jesus and what he's done. With that in mind, I want to share with you just a little bit of context before we dive into this chapter. You know that in John chapter 12, as Brother Chamberlain looked at last week, John chapter 12, you would have thought, was one of the greatest revivals in Jewish history because there they were in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus marched along on top of a a donkey into the land of Israel. And everybody had their palm branches and they were waving them down. Everybody was rejoicing in the streets. And they were celebrating how the king of the Jews marched into town. And then in John chapter 13, we find 
that Jesus spoke with his disciples about how he must suffer and he must die. And to commemorate that thought, he shared with them, this, this, is the, this wine represents my blood that will be shed, and this bread represents the body that I will, will have on the cross that will be broken. And in John chapter 14, he, shed, he said, hey, listen, you, you might get discouraged on this earth, but do not let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, you can believe in me also, because in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In John chapter 15, we find that Jesus shared some words, and he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In John chapter 16, Jesus begins to comfort his disciples and those that were with him with some of the words he was saying. And then in John chapter 17, we find the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ bending down and lifting up his voice to God the Father. In John chapter 18, we find... The high priest met the high priest. And what a chapter John chapter 18 is. The earthly high priest met the heavenly high priest. And what a day that was. And then in John chapter 19, we find that Pilate brings him before the crowd. And they said they want Barabbas and to crucify him. You know, it's interesting. I, I was talking with Pastor English the other day. Went by to see him at Our Lady of the Valley. And he said he was listening to a guy preach about Barabbas and how Barabbas was in a chamber. And that it is very likely this is what went on. That when Pilate was asking the crowd of the Jews who they wanted to bring forth, they shouted out, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And then they didn't hear, he, excuse me, did not hear how Pilate would say, what should I do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him, crucify him. So it is very likely that when Barabbas was brought forth, he thought he was going to be butchered on a cross. But instead, Jesus in John chapter 19 is taken, scourged, flogged, and placed upon the cross. And then they place him in a tomb. And John chapter 20 is our setting. We find two ladies come to the scene. And they verify that Jesus rose from the grave. Today you might have your doubts about the Bible, and I understand that, I get that. I've had many doubts myself throughout the years, but I'll tell you one thing. After much research, much study, I've studied it more than the average man. I've went to undergrad and graduate school, devoted a portion of my life to studying it in great detail. And I submit to you today that it is the divine oracles of God. And I want to share with you three verifications of Christ's resurrection. I get it. You might be here today and you say, I just not, I'm not hook, line, sink, and sold on the Bible. Well, today I want to share with you, I want to lay everything else in the Bible aside, and I just want to focus on the resurrection, just Jesus' resurrection. In verses 1 through 10, I want to share with you first of three thoughts. The empty tomb verifies Christ rose from the grave. The empty tomb verifies Christ rose from from the grave. In June 2016, I was given the opportunity of a lifetime to visit the land of Israel for free. And that, my friends, is my kind of trip. <laughs> Somebody said, Brian, you're just really, really tight with all your money. No, I am frugal with the money, the little money that God has given me. And so if I have an opportunity to go to Israel for free, of course,
did go to the place where they laid him in a tomb, or we think he laid him in a tomb. It's very likely this is the tomb they laid in. There's no 100% guarantees of anything these days. And so I walked in, and I had my phone at the time, and my iPhone 6 at the time, and I was, was pulled up my camera on the phone, and on the door it said, He is not here, for he is risen. So I took a picture of that, and I walked in just to make sure he wasn't still there. <laughs> I've been there. Maybe some of you have. But most people in their life, they do not get the opportunity to go there. And I've been there, and I've seen the empty tomb. But you know, in Matthew chapter 27 and Matthew chapter 28, the parallel passage of this one, we find that, that there was a Jewish conspiracy that arose that said, well, let's, let's pay you a sum of money and to go and take the body of Jesus by night. And then if anybody says that he, that he rose, we can say that, no, he's dead so they had a conspiracy coming up. And so I want to ask a couple questions because here's some thoughts that have plagued the minds of man throughout the centuries since he lived. What if Christ was never placed in the tomb to begin with? You ever think of that? What if Jesus Christ was never placed in that tomb to begin with? Well, I want you to understand. We have multiple eyewitnesses that verify that Jesus was placed in in that tomb, we have not just Jewish people, not just those who were following Jesus, but also those who were Romans and did not want him to live and had no purpose or motive to claim he rose from the grave. And then here's one that, that really gets us. It's called the spoon theory. And if you've seen the case for Christ, that movie, then you've, you've been exposed to some of these things. But what if Christ recovered from his injuries? I want you to understand that today, if somebody is given a death penalty, they will inject them with some fluid or make them take a pill or put them on the electric chair or maybe a few other things. All of these penalties of death are like child's play compared to a crucifixion. You need to understand that before Jesus went to the cross, they flogged him. And what that is, that is the most gruesome aspect of torture that any man could ever go through. That cat of nine tails they talk of, they take it and they whip him. And those whips, it had a, they say it had about five little hands on it and it goes in and, it, and, it, and it goes into your flesh. And when it rips off, it rips off flesh, bones, muscles, and blood. And they did this time and time and time again. And he survived it. It's very possible people survived that. But then the fact that he had to carry his cross to Golgotha, we understand that now that's why Jesus fell down and he couldn't carry his cross because he was flogged. And then they took him and they placed him on the cross. After all that, they put stakes in his wrists and his feet and they drove a crown of thorns into his skull. And then while he's on the cross, and you, you probably know this, that when he would exhale, his body would, would dip. And in order to, to inhale, he would have to scoot his way up on the cross and then the cross would probably scratch his back and blisters would go. And you got to understand his back was bloody and, and just beaten and, and, and torn. And then every time he would exhale, he would dip down. And if he wanted to breathe again, he'd have to work his way up on the cross. And you have to understand this was very, very gruesome. And there's no way a man could survive. Medical experts have studied the Gospels. In one of the Gospels, the Bible talks about how they took a spear and they stabbed him in his, in his side. And when the water and blood came out, it signifies a medical condition that would pronounce him as a dead man. The empty tomb 
verifies Christ rose from the grave. Now I want to share with you, as I read verses 11 through 18, we're not going to read all of these verses. You can, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and read them for yourself later um, after the service is over. But in verses 11 through 18, I wrote down, secondly, the first verification of Christ's resurrection is this, the empty tomb verifies Christ rose from the grave. Number two, the word of God verifies Christ rose from the grave. The word of God verifies Christ rose from from the grave. The Bible has been tried by, by skeptics. The Bible has been tested by scholars, but it remains the true word of the Savior from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Doesn't mean we have to agree on every chapter, every verse, but what it does mean is that this book that I hold in my hand is not just a novel that you're going to go and buy at Barnes and Noble. It's not just a novel you're going to rent and check out at the library. This is the Word of God from heaven. And the question is arisen Are the manuscripts that we discover the Bible reliable? These may not be questions you've ever asked, but I'm sure at some point you'll be exposed to this question. You know, it's interesting. Homer's Iliad was, a, was something that was written many, many years ago. And we have just over 1,500. That's 1,500 manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. And historians, scholars say that this is one of the most greatest aspects of any manuscript that's ever existed. Because we have 1,500 of them. The only other manuscript that compares. Never guess what it is. It's the Bible. And to get more specifically, it's actually the New Testament. The New Testament, we have 5,843 manuscripts of just the New Testament alone. You take this to a textual critic or anybody studying manuscript, this is above and beyond any other manuscript by the thousands. In fact, if it goes even further, that the Homer's Iliad, we have the, the latest manuscript we have, the fragment, is just a couple hundred years from its date. You go back to one of the fragments of the Gospel of John that we're reading today, and we are 30 years from the original. 30 years. How much evidence does somebody need before it becomes enough evidence. The Bible outweighs any other book that has ever existed. The first book that was ever printed on a printing press was the Word of God. The most book that's ever been sold in human history is the Word of God. The Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth because of the manuscripts we have behind it. The Word of God shares that Jesus died. The Word of God shares that Jesus rose from the grave. And my dear friends, that is good enough for me. The Old Testament predicts that Jesus would rise from the grave. In Psalm chapter 18, excuse me, Psalm 16, the Bible says, He will not leave His Holy One in hell, neither suffer to see Him see corruption. And, and in the book of Acts, we find that every time the apostles preached the Word of God, they preached the resurrection of Christ. And one of Peter and Paul's sermons, they referenced that passage in Psalm 16 about Jesus rising from the grave. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts, and every one of Paul's epistles, every one of Peter's epistles, every one of John's epistles emphasizes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today I submit to you, I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How about you? The first reason or the first verification is the empty tomb. The second verification is the word of God. But now I want to share with you the third verification from verses 19 through 31. The disciples' testimony verifies Christ's rose from 
the dead. The disciples' testimony verifies Christ rose from the dead. God forbid you have to go to the courtroom and see the judge. But if you go there and you need a witness, in order for something to be verified, all you need is one witness to verify all the facts. You know, I find it very remarkable that we have over 500 first-hand sightings of Jesus after his resurrection. 500. In a court of law, that would easily be proven. In fact, the Old Testament law said, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says that over 500 people saw him, physically saw him before he ascended up into heaven and after he rose from the grave. Well, so they say, were the witnesses reliable, is what the skeptics say. Some say, well, the witnesses are a hoax. It's all made up. Can you imagine getting 500 Baptists to make up a story and the story to be in a line with everything? <laughs> I'm seriously, man. I've been a Baptist my entire life. I've been a Baptist preacher since I was 16, and I've been a Baptist pastor since I was 22. And I submit to you today that it's hard enough to get 150 people on the same page, much less 500. Can you imagine 500 people standing in a court of law saying the exact same story without any of the others being in there? The exact same. It's impossible. Then, how about this? They were all hallucinating. <laughs> That's what the skeptics would say. Well, listen, how can 500 people hallucinate the same exact story? How could 500 people fabricate the exact same story? If that's not enough for you, we have a Jewish historian who wasn't even a Christian and didn't even like Jesus Christ. His name was Josephus. And in his writings, he was a historian of his day. He verified Christ rose from the grave. How much is enough evidence for the world? I submit to you, the reason why many people do not want to believe it is because they do not want to see it. I was witnessing to a friend that I grew up with recently. And I shared with him. I said, let's lay aside everything else from the table. And let's talk, just talk about the resurrection. Let's lay aside evolution. Let's lay aside everything. I'm talking about everything from mathematics, everything from science, everything from philosophy. Let's lay aside everything and let's just talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I begin to share with him these things about how we have historians that are not Christians and have no motive at all to verify Jesus' resurrection. How we have 500 witnesses, and then I'm never going to forget what he said to me. He said, Brian, the only way I will ever believe that Jesus rose from the grave is I could travel back in the time and watch him with my own eyes coming out of the grave. That, my friends, is an unrealistic expectation. The Bible is about Jesus Christ from cover to cover. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In John 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It says, The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
The last verse of the Old Testament talks about a curse in the book of Malachi. And in the book of Galatians, the Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. As it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. The very first words of the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew says the book. The book points to the word of God. And in John chapter number 1 verse 14, the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word is Jesus Christ. The very last verse of the book of Revelation says, Amen. And in Revelation chapter number 3, the Bible says that He is the faithful and true witness, the first and the last, the beginning of the creation, the Amen. The Bible is about Jesus from cover to cover. In Genesis, we see that He is our Creator God. In Exodus, we see that He is our Redeeming God. In Leviticus, we see He is the Holy God. In Numbers, we see He is the Guiding God. In Deuteronomy, He is the Law-Teaching God. In Joshua, He is the Mighty Conquering God. In Judges, He is the Perfect Judging God. In Ruth, He is our Redeeming God. In Samuel, He is our Powerful Prophet. In Kings, He is the Reigning King. In Chronicles, He is our Intercessor and our High Priest. And Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. And Nehemiah, he is our rebuilder, and he can rebuild any walls that we need to build in our lives. And Esther, he stands in the gap to deliver us from our enemies. And Job, he understands our pain. And Psalms, he is the reason why we sing. And Proverbs, he is our wisdom. And Ecclesiastes, he is our purpose for life and our satisfaction. And the Song of Solomon, he is the true lover of our souls. And Isaiah, he is the mighty counselor, the prince of peace, and the eternal everlasting father and jeremiah he is our comfort in times of suffering and lamentations he is our ever faithful one upon we can depend in ezekiel he is the son of man that was high and lifted up in daniel he is the ancient of days and hosea he is our faithful lover in joel he is our refuge in amos he bears our burdens and obadiah he is our mighty savior and jonah he is the true missionary who declares the salvation to all and micah he is our our peace and Nahum he is our avenger he will avenge saith the Lord and Habakkuk he is the holy one and Zephaniah he is mighty to say mightier friends and Haggai he is the Lord of hosts and Zechariah he is the crucified son and Malachi he is the son of righteousness and Matthew he is the king of the Jews and Mark he is our faithful servant and Luke he is the son of man and John he is the son of God and Acts he is the risen Lord and the savior of the world and Romans he is our justifier and Corinthians he is our righteousness and 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one. In Galatians, he sets us free from every bondage that we have. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. I know you might think you're the head of the church. I know I might think I'm the head of the church, but God is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our joy. In Colossians, he is our completeness. In 1 Thessalonians, he is our hope. In 2 Thessalonians, he is our glory. In Timothy, he is our mediator. In 2 Timothy, he is our master. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is our benefactor. In Hebrews, he is our great high priest who stands in between God the Father and mankind. In James, he is our judge. In Peter, he is our example. In 2 Peter, he is our purifier. In 1 John, he is our life. In 2 John, he is our pattern. In 3 John, he is our truth. In Jude, he is the foundation of our faith. And in Revelation, church, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns for all eternity. Does he reign in your heart? The theme of the Bible is not you. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament looks back to Jesus and it's all about his death, all about his resurrection. But you know, some people have studied the Bible for a lifetime. 
but they failed to actually get to know the one they're studying. You can go to church your entire life. You can go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and every other day in the week. You could take communion every day. You could go to Mass every day of the year. But if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell. Church, today, it's not about Easter bunnies. It's not about Easter eggs. Today, it's not about candy. It's not about gifts. And it's not really about spending time with family. It's about Jesus Christ and Him alone. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. How about you? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.